The Lord told us when we came to this region, particularly into Harrisburg, um, to go and to invest. Don't do like a lot of ministers or ministries do. They come in, especially into Harrisburg region, and they get there and they start trying to raise funds. Or they set up a church and it's all about collecting offerings and building their own little kingdom. God told us to come and invest. Coming from the parable of the man who uh, found a treasure in a field. And the Bible says that he first went back, purchased the field. He didn't steal the treasure. He purchased the field, which gave him the right to access the treasure. And so the Lord has told us to come and invest. We have no right to come and take the treasure out of Harrisburg. We have to invest. That's the principle. And so I want you to always to remember that. It's, it's about investing. Uh, we feel like we're two of the wealthiest people on the planet. Why do we say that? Because wealth is not measured by assets and income. Wealth is measured by investment, how much you give. And I'm not about to take up an offering. <laughs> but that's how the wealth is measured, how much you invest, how much we invest in our husbands, our wives, our children, our families, our loved ones, the time, the attention, the energy, the love, the commitment. That's what makes us wealthy. And since the world doesn't understand that, they spend, they spend lots of energy and effort trying to amass the lowest form of wealth. What do you mean by that, Pastor Chris? What I mean is actually currency, money, is the lowest form of wealth. Yes. Yes. You know what the highest level of wealth is? It's human life. Amen. There's nothing more valuable than a human life. And if you were to take a scale, if someone were to show you a scale of what's the most wealthiest and what's the least, human life would be at the top. And currency or money would be at the bottom. Now, in between, you'd have things like land and property and, you know, savings and stocks and bonds and all different, even bartering and things like that. But the top would be a human life. And we live in a world that's flipped the chart. Yes. And they've got money at the top. And human life, as we all know, is at the bottom. And so God uses his people to keep putting the chart back in the right perspective and he uses us to do that he uses us to change people's minds and to show them no nothing's more valuable than a life and because of that he's requiring of us in the house of God and even in our own homes to see it that way to see the lives that are right around us and how precious and valuable they are to God himself and it changes all of our perspective. It changes the reason even for us gathering like this uh, on a weekly basis. The Lord came, kind of taught us some great lessons over the years. And one of them has been that church attendance is not to be viewed as uh, my time to escape the world. This isn't escape the world time. That's not why he calls us together to just get away from those people. <laughs> No, this is where we come in and we get equipped, we get encouraged, we get inspired to do what? To go back out there. <laughs> That's the whole point of it, so that we can get back out there. He wants us by the time we get finished in here that we can't wait. It's like the football team that's been reared up in that room and can't wait to get back out on the field. 
but he doesn't want us to get out on the field. And I don't know how, how many of you are familiar with football, but in between each play, you see the guys get in what they call a huddle. And that's where they call the play. This is what we're going to do next. And so God wants to get the church out of the habit of just running out on the field, getting into a huddle. And they stay in the huddle, and we stay in the huddle. This is the play that we should be doing. This is the play we ought to be doing. This is the play we're supposed to be doing. But we never get out of the huddle and go do it. And so God's got us in this season now. He said, okay, time to get out, out of the huddle and run the plays. Let's do what he's told us to do. And it's no coincidence that the Lord is putting so much emphasis for all of us in this season on taking it back home. Start at home. Start with the lives at home. That's what's most precious. Make the investment at home. More and more across the, uh, our, our nation, we're coming more and more to the realization of how important it is that we uh, really strengthen our families for this hour that we're in. I can't say we're about to go in in America. We're already in. We're in it now. I mean, you sense that in your spirit, you know, and we've been in it for a long time. And so lots of people in the world are panicking. Our coworkers are panicking. Our families are going, getting into panic because they don't know what's going to happen next. What happened in Paris, what happened in San Bernardino, even without talking about terrorist acts, just the crime in our streets. Then taking it even closer to home, the breaking up of our families, what's happening to our kids, what they're being taught in school. Some of us, your grandchildren are coming home and they're saying things. And you're like, where did you get that from? A young a youth are um, back in our home church in St. Louis, the couple that's been assigned over the uh, young adult ministry. That's the 20-something crowd. He sent me a text one time. He said, Pastor Chris, uh, we started talking to the young people about the gay issue, and most of our young people don't see anything wrong with it. And they grew up in church. They grew up in the house of God, and they've come to accept it because of what they're being taught at school. They're even being taught that the Bible is just a bunch of writings that human beings put together, and it was used to manipulate populations. So there's things that are happening all over and God is telling us, family, get back. Take the, take the battle back home. Right. In our own hearts, in our own homes. Make the investments there. Bless the Lord. Amen. And I, when we first moved here, moved to Harrisburg, uh, it was back in 2004. And every morning, uh, our oldest son, who's now married and living in Tulsa, Oklahoma, our oldest son, he was working at a particular company, uh, distribution company in Harrisburg, and I'd have to get him to work at 5 o'clock in the morning. So after dropping him off, I would always go to our building, our facility. And so around 5.30 every morning, I'm in there praying and asking the Lord, you know, about our being in Harrisburg and how he wants us to go forth and to minister and all of that. Get my glasses over there. It's over there somewhere. So I can see. <laughs> Thank you, son. And the Lord, one of those mornings, the Lord brought this passage of scripture to my heart from Proverbs 25, verse 20. So it'll be the strangest scripture you ever saw. You, you may wonder why in the world would God say this to 
a pastor who's seeking God's face and how to minister in this time. And so Proverbs 25, 20, the New King James Version of the Bible, is, it reads like this. Like one who takes away a garment in cold weather and like vinegar on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Wow, he's right. <laughs> the Amplified Version, it reads like this. Like one who takes off a garment in cold weather or like a reactive, useless mixture of vinegar on soda is he who thoughtlessly sings joyful songs to a heavy heart. Now, I remember I, when, I, when I read that, I kind of struggled with that. I actually shared those wor that word with our ministry team that we had at the time because um, I didn't quite know how to implement what it was that the Lord was telling me. And so the best that I knew to do at that time was I, I changed our strategy. We, would, we, we weren't going to put the emphasis when we got together uh, on Sunday mornings. We weren't going to put the emphasis on the praise and worship uh, anymore. Instead, we were going to really put more emphasis on prayer and teaching to deal with those heavy hearts. Um, and, you know, even then, back then, I still didn't quite understand how to facilitate what, what this word was saying. In fact, it took several months and years for us to understand the real weight of this scripture. Uh, we've had a variety of people that have come to our ministry in and out through the years uh, individuals and families who came from who had severely damaged hearts and homes um, and we got to know them because uh, one of the things that we did was uh, we set up personal private times for people that wanted to get to know the pastors a little bit better so we would tell anybody if you really want to just sit down and talk with us about your life or your family uh, you can come by on Fridays. Uh, Fridays uh, Friday evenings is a good time for us, so people, would, we give them personal time with the pastors. And person after person, story after story, it was all, the, it sort of went like this as people talk. They said, they would say things like, I'm tired of attending churches that uh, sing songs, but they never really get to, they never really get to the ministry part. And they would say things like, they're not helping me, uh, and I, I don't need all the hype. They would say things like, I don't need all the hype and the, the theatrics. I need the real presence of God. That's why I love this church. That's why I love this house. You guys don't play. It's, it's the presence of God, the real things. There's no hype. There's no extra theatrics here. You just want God and his presence. But we were talking to people, they said they had been in the places where it's a lot of hype and theatrics, but his presence wasn't there, not what they were needing. Um, they would say things, I need something that will help me in my real life situation. Uh, they said things like, I need to leave a church service with answers and real solutions that I can apply in my life immediately. And so over the years, um, even we did, we began to make adjustments in, in our church and in our ministry because the Lord kept bringing this word back about don't be like somebody that snatches away a garment on a cold day. Don't be like a useless mixture of vinegar and soda. 
that just fizzles out because it actually fizzles and then it's all gone. It looks like something is happening, but nothing's really happening. Some of you may have been at, been at that point in your life. That may be how you ended up here because you got tired of fizzle. <laughs> Lots of stuff on the surface, but nothing really changed. Um, but something amazing happened as we began to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We found that when it came to these people with heavy, heavy hearts, that when we got real, just be genuine and being real with people and begin to just minister to them right where they were, that the joyful songs would come out in the midst of the healing process. Mm -hmm. In other words, God took us out of the formula of just saying, let's sing the happy songs first. No, like, no, minister to them. And in their process, the joyful songs would come out. Sometimes the joyful songs would come out in the middle of the service. Sometimes it didn't come out till the end. What am I getting at? I'm not talking about a formula. Right. Not at all. But it was God challenging us about being open to the way he's going to move in these last days. Amen. We could not and we cannot try to hold on to the way God did it before. Many of you are familiar with this, with this story of how when Moses brought God's people out of, well, really God brought them out using Moses as the leader, and they came to the Red Sea, the instructions were, tell your brother to stretch out the rod, and, and he obeyed that, and the sea parted. But 40-something years later, when they came to the Jordan River, new leadership under Joshua, the instructions weren't stretch out a rod, hand, speak, nothing. It was go tell the priest to go and step in the water. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're not doing it like you did 40 years ago. How many of you found out? God just, he just won't do it like he did 40 years ago. Why is it that our forefathers, they didn't have to step into the situation first. But in our generation, how many of you have found this out? God, you keep making me step into the water first. What am I talking about? The waters of my family. Forty years ago when it was Oral Roberts and, and uh, Catherine Kuhlman and all those folks, Billy Graham, 40 years ago back in the 70s, 50 years ago in the 60s, you let them proclaim things and speak things and things broke and they happened in the church and look at all the, and became mega and big and explosive. And so here we are 40, 50 years later and God is saying, family. I'm not going to let you step back and wave the rod over it. I'm, going, I'm telling you to go and step in it. Step right into your family situation. At that time, the Jordan River, the historians and Bible scholars say it was overflowing its banks at that time. And um, since I'm born and raised in St. Louis, it has the mighty Mississippi River that flows on the on the. St. Louis sits on the banks of the mighty Mississippi. And at that point, it's pretty powerful. 
that river is really powerful at that point. So when you talk about stepping onto the edge of a river, the current on the edge of a river is pretty serious. And if you slip and fall on the edge, you're gone. <laughs> so that was pretty dangerous for God to give instructions for them to go and step out into the river at a dangerous time. And it can be that same way in our households, with our families. God, you, you know, we're asked God questions like, God, do you understand what you're asking me to do? <laughs> Isn't it funny the questions we'll ask God? God, do you understand <laughs> what you're asking me to do? By stepping into my family situation like this? Because culturally, this is one thing I've learned now that I've lived here in Pennsylvania for 11 years. Um, your culture is very different from mine back in Missouri. St. Louis was founded by the French. And it has lots of Italians there. So it's more like a French and Italian culture, which is very, um, what's the word? In your face. <laughs> they will confront you to your face. There isn't a lot of backstabbing. It's a lot of chest stabbing. <laughs> I can see some of you going, oh, really? Yeah, we won't even bother to talk about you behind your back. You're going to know right here now in my face, in your face, I'm going to tell you what I think of you and how I feel about you. I'm not saying there isn't any backstabbing, but culturally, it's more in your face. So imagine the adjustment for me when I came here to this part of the country where it's more behind your back. The Pennsylvania Dutch way. The Pennsylvania German way. Imagine my culture shock when I found out that everybody that was smiling at me didn't really like me. <laughs> because I come from a culture where it's more upfront. If you don't like me, you're gonna tell me right up front. But I came, came here and it's very different. Why am I bringing this out? Because in a season and a time where God is saying, step into it with your family, culturally in this region, it's more of, well, I don't really confront my family like that. Things just kind of happen and we all know about it, but that's not how we deal with it. And so you can come to a, a place where God can actually be telling us to do something that it kind of grates up against how we are culturally. But he's saying you got to do it. Why? Because of the value of the life. That person, their soul. And they are more important than my, my, um, my discomfort. This feels awkward for me to talk to them and to bring up the issues. But I've got to. Why? Because it's a different season. 40, 50 years ago, I could have just simply just prayed about it, kind of hinted toward it. But in this season, we've got to actually say, you know what? We need to call a family meeting. 
and we need to pray together. I know all of you don't agree with all of this, and this is going to be out of your comfort, but we need to pray together as a family. We can take advantage of the things going on in the news and say, hey, guys, our family, I know we're hearing about all the things going on with ISIS, and it happened in Paris, and now something's happened in California. Can we pray together as a family? Can we just get together? I know we don't all agree on, a certain, on all the same beliefs and all of that, but can we just get together? Why am I saying that? Because that's the hour that we live in now. Let's step into it. That's even why I brought up the videos. Hey, guys, you want to take a few minutes? It's less than a half hour. I want you guys just to watch this. Why? Because their lives so important now and we don't want to have ineffective ministry I, want, I don't want the Lord I don't want it to be uh, uh, like that person that's mentioned in Proverbs 25 20 that I've got all the fizzle all, all the effect but it ends up being just a useless pointless reaction we don't want to be, Lord, those who sing songs to heavy hearts. You know, our family's got heavy hearts. And so, Lord, I don't want to just sing songs to heavy hearts. I want them to come to know the joy of the Lord. I sense that in this room, all over this room, said, yeah, that's it. And so can we take a moment right now? I sense the presence of the Lord. This is a special moment right now. Lord, just say, Lord, even this individually where you are right now, Lord, this is kind of unusual for me. This is taking me out of my comfort zone. But I say, yes, Lord. That's all he wants. Yes, Lord. I say, yes, Lord, to the way you're telling me to step into, step into the river with my family. I say, yes, Lord. Lord, I ask you that during this holiday season, open up the opportunities. Let me see it when it comes up. Help me to recognize it when it comes up. Some of you guys are going to do that on your job. Moments are going to come, and it'll be the time that you can say something. You may not get a, be able to, as they say, close the deal and lead them in the sinner's prayer, but you can at least plant the seed. As we all know, when the holidays come, there's a lot of people go into deep depression and suicide increases. And so I believe God's going to make you sensitive to somebody on your job that's thinking about doing that. Right. And you'll go past just the Merry Christmas and you'll see that sadness and the Holy Spirit will say, stop them right now and ask them, how you doing this Christmas season? Is everything okay? And resist that feeling of, well, I, I don't really want to talk to nobody because when I get off work, I just want to go home. No, no, somebody's life is on the line. So go ahead and step into that river in that moment. Say, is everything okay? And especially when it's after work. I've done this. When it's after work and, you, and people open up and they talk and then you're able to say, in the moment, uh, do you mind if I pray for you? And you don't have to make it a super deep and spiritual, super spiritual prayer. Just, Lord, I thank you for my friend. And whatever it is that they disclose to you, Lord, I thank you that you're intervening in their situation. And where, she, where, where she's depressed right now, 
I thank you, Lord, that you will bring your joy into her life. I thank you for her life. She means more to, she, she means everything to you, Lord. So you can go ahead and pray. And I thank you, Lord, that you died on the cross for her sin. I always thought that you have to present the whole gospel in a presentation. No, you can present the gospel as you're praying. Lord, I thank you that you died on the cross for her sin. I thank you that she can find new life in you. Yeah. Because now you're bringing, the Holy Spirit's using you to bring the hope, to bring the light. I once had a coworker. Um, uh, I just heard her on the phone talking to someone, and they were talking about some guy who was in the hospital, um, and he was on a ventilator and only had four days to live. I'm just overhearing this conversation. And so the Holy Spirit, y'all know how the Holy Spirit is on the job. He says, I know you're not going to let that man die. It's something how God will talk to you. He, he didn't do it the nice way of saying, Chris, I want you to go and pray for that man. God's just, the Holy Spirit just said, I know you're not going to just let that man die. So I went back to my coworkers. That I overheard your conversation. Um, didn't mean to eavesdrop, but I overheard your conversation. Do you think that your friend turned out that it was a friend of a friend? Do you think that they would mind if we could come by the hospital and pray? Turned out the guy's name was Chuck, and uh, they were at the hospital that day, right there at that moment. So I called my wife and said, we're, and they gave us permission. They called to check and see if it was okay. So we did all the protocol, check and make sure it's okay if we can come. Where is the hospital? Where is the room? And we got permission. They called back and said it's okay. So my Called my wife, we went right after work. Went to the hospital, got a chance to go into the room to pray for Chuck. It was me and my coworkers since we were coming, then she decided she wanted to go. Now that felt awkward, because I in my plan I wanted it to be me and Carol to go in there and pray. And they only let it was ICU, so as you guys know, only two people can go in at a time in ICU. But my coworker wanted to go. So Carol consented, you know, says, okay, you go in with my husband to go see, because it was her friend. I go in there, the guy's hooked up, and, I don't, uh, and when you see that, you can be so discouraged at the sight of seeing someone on life support. And so we go into the room, and the Lord says, sing over him. But I'm with my coworker. <laughs> It would have been okay if it had just been me and Carol. Well, this is my coworker. God sing. God have you do some strange things sometimes, doesn't he? So I begin to sing. I worship you, almighty God. With my voice cracking like that. There is none like you. I worship you, oh Prince of Peace. That is what I want to do. I give you praise, for you are my righteousness. I worship you, almighty God. And then the rhema. There is none like you. And then I felt his presence. 
It's amazing how God will give you a song and then you get the point at the end of the whole phrase. There is none like. Then it took all the attention off of what he looked like, the situation, the embarrassment of having my coworker there. Because in that moment, there is none like you. Then the Lord gave me this simple prayer. said, Lord, I don't even know if Chuck knows you. But I ask you to give him another chance. God didn't have me to rebuke death, to speak to the sickness, nothing. He just said, that was the prayer that came up. God, give him another chance. And that was it. Work got to work the next day, going through the day. And my coworker comes over and, Chris, Chris, I just got a phone call. Chuck is awake. Not only is he awake, he's sitting up. He's out of the bed. He's sitting in a chair, and he's eating. God. That's what I'm meaning about God doesn't want us to be like snatching a coat off somebody in the winter or a meaningless chemical reaction or singing songs to a, that's what it's like to sing songs to a heavy heart, where it's like you're not really dealing with the situation. God wants us to be a people that, no, we deal with the heavy hearts. He wants us to be effective. Bless the Lord. Some of you have been following our, our, our ministry online or through email and so you know that they're re we're really big on praying for hearts and homes um, because that's what God told us to come here and to do I came across an article in uh, Charisma magazine I don't usually follow that uh, uh, all the time but this particular article came across uh, by a man named Dennis Jernigan and he was a guy who was healed and delivered from his uh, struggle with same-sex attraction and in this article, this man says, uh, as someone who is now happily married to a woman and the father of nine children, wow. That's enough to praise God already, right? <laughs> he was really delivered. <laughs> but he says the battle for his identity started in his mind. And he said that, but he said, but the battle played out in the homes of believers who were willing to war with him. He said, I never thought I'd be attracted to a woman, but everything changed because I changed the way I thought and I put off the thoughts until, uh, until I didn't think that way anymore. He said, in, uh, it's renewing the mind described in Romans 12. He said the church should consider this as the approach to this sensitive F, uh, area. The way we approach folks who are struggling with this is through Romans 12. Not condemnation and not preaching on them, but they need their minds renewed. And here's somebody who once had that struggle. Um, he says, I have a Christ-centered worldview world now. Everything I believe comes from that point. He said, uh, find out who your creator says you are. See, that's what happened to him. He found out who God said he was. Isn't that amazing? And he said, uh, he said, that gave me something to latch on to. He said, though gay marriage has hit the headlines 
this year. He said, it's far from a new thing. He said, God's been freeing people up from identity issues for thousands of years. How many of you know that? He said, but it's a fight the church needs to engage in rather than cowering in fear. Now, here's where he, he particularly says he had to deal where he learned this fight and learned how to fight. He said, for Jernigan and his family, ground zero of the fight against sin began in living rooms. Different believers would invite them to their home and they would minister to him in their home. It didn't happen at church meetings. It happened in home. He said, even to this day, my wife and I, he said, we host a meeting every Wednesday night where people can come in. He said, it's just like Vegas. What happens in the living room stays in the living room. <laughs> he said, and people feel safe. If believers genuinely want to change the culture, Here's where the rubber meets the road. What if every believer in America saw their family and their home as a conduit of healing? He said, we could change the culture overnight if we see our families and our homes right where God has us every day at work with our family before we can even deal with neighbors Wow, just think, just starting with my own family. This may be a real stretch for some of you. Others of you, you're kind of an outgoing personality anyway, so you don't have any trouble just like going right at it with someone. <laughs> but for most of us who are, we're not confrontational and we're not combative and we don't have a quick witty comeback for everybody. Do you know that God will use you right where you are with your personality? Yes. When I went and prayed for Chuck, when me and my wife went through the hospital, we didn't go as Pastor Chris and Pastor Carol. We was just co-workers. As far as they knew, it was just Chris and Carol, two people that we go to work with every day who show concern when they heard about a man who only had four days to live. In Chuck's case, we knew how long he had. For most people, we don't know. You could be looking at somebody for the last time every day. And what I sense in my spirit is God wants us to be like our firemen, like our EMT workers. They're always prepared ready for that call, always ready. And I sense that in my spirit, this house, God sent us here just to tell you, you're ready. You're ready. Reason why I know you're ready, because God says you're ready. God has been preparing you years years of preparation, life's experience, even some of the negative things that you went through in your family or at other churches and other ministries to prepare you for this day in America in a time where people will not listen to me and Pastor Paul because the word pastor is in front of our name because they think we just want their money. 
They think we want their membership and their money. So if pastor's in front of our name, they won't listen to us. But you don't necessarily have those titles in front of your name. You get to be just you. Your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your cousin, your uncle, your grandma, grandpa, your coworker, your friend. You're my neighbor down the street. You're the person I see in the grocery store once a week. So when they talk, the next time you ask someone, hey, how are you doing? I challenge you, mean it. Hey, how's it going? I challenge you, mean it. You'll be surprised if you actually pause and wait for an answer. Even if they say, well, all right, but do you hear the Holy Spirit say, no, because you'll hear the way they say it, all right. Well, it's going. Hey, how's it going? Well, it's going. And he'll challenge us. The Holy Spirit will say, okay, ask them, what do you mean it's going? And some people, yeah, they may be embarrassed to talk about the fact that they got laid off and they don't have any money. The conversation may not even get that deep, but the Holy Spirit will tell you. They're embarrassed about what they're going through. He's not telling you so that you can say it. Holy Spirit is now telling me that you really are just embarrassed about what you're going through. Well, no, that's not the reason. <laughs> but he's telling us so that now we can be sensitive and say, do you mind if I pray for you right now? Even if not right now, some people are uncomfortable with that. If they are, then just give them the promise. You know what? I'm part of a praying church, and I promise I'm putting you on our prayer list. And then we can pray. Lord, give me another opportunity. Bring me across their path again. God's got us moving in such a way that it's just what his word says. One will plant. Another will water. You planted a seed, and next week somebody else comes along and waters what you just planted last week because now he's got the whole body all of us are working in perfect synchronization with one another so you planted a seed at work and then a neighbor goes and waters the seed or it could be their husband or their wife the person that they've been warring and fighting with for years in their family you end up saying the same thing that somebody else just told them last week and they keep hearing the same word or the same encouragement over and over again. Just think about how the Lord drew you. And he caused you to come across the right path of the right person at just the right time. Bless the Lord. I want to close with this tonight. Thank you, Lord. And I know I won't make it through all of these, but at least I want to share this much with you. About three years ago, the Lord put it upon our hearts to begin to pray for our families because of the warfare that our families have endured for years. It's not a coincidence that this brother is coming to break these strongholds over this region. I believe personally that much of the warfare in the strongholds in this region is because of the enemy's success in breaking down our families. When you read the story of Nehemiah, many of you are familiar with it, of how it was in his heart to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the gates and the walls. Previously, before that, uh, 
Ezra had gone back to begin rebuilding the temple. But when Nehemiah came in to rebuild and work on the gates and the walls, then the Bible says that these guys, Samballot and Tobiah, the Ammonites, the Arabs, the Ashdodites, suddenly got upset. And the reason why they got upset was because something was about to be reestablished that was a real threat to them. God just told us to take all of that story. Some of most of you are familiar with these, with the story of Nehemiah and how they did the rebuilding, and even the prophetic significance of each one of the gates. Each one of those gates has a very powerful prophetic meaning. But what the Lord told us to do was now take all of those prophetic meanings of those different gates and now apply it to families. And then you'll see why Sanballat and Tobiah and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites and the Arabs got so upset. When you apply it to the family level, then you can see what this is really all about. Each one of those guys represented a particular people group and each one of those people groups had particular gods, lowercase g, that they worshiped and was a part of their life and had dedicated themselves to, that were vehemently opposed to God's people. Sanballat was a Moabite. The god that they worshiped was Chemosh. And Chemosh was the god that required perverted sexual worship and child sacrifice. Today that would be what we've seen with the, with the perversion of gay marriage and abortion. So isn't it interesting that when the people of God said, we're going to rebuild the gates and walls, let me put it prophetically, we're going to rebuild our families. We're going to bring our households, mom, dad, cousin, aunt, uncle, grandparents, we're going to rebuild. And the God, that pushes for gay marriage, the God that pushes for child sacrifice, rose up. It's not a coincidence. That's what's happening today. It's, this isn't political stuff. The world keeps trying to make it look like this is about politics. No, this is deeply spiritual. And each one of those guys, Tobiah, he's an Ammonite, and they, they were bullies. And the way that this spirit works is just to war with you and war with you until you give in, until you quit. It was while Israel was at war with the Ammonites that King David committed adultery with Bathsheba because the war had just gone on for so long and so long. Ammon, that spirit, of, that Ammonite-type spirit really doesn't fight to win it just fights to wear you down until you quit, until you give in like David did to the wrong thing. It just wars with you. Isn't that something? And they're bullies. You think it's a coincidence that bullying in our schools is such a big issue right now? It's a spiritual thing. Each one of these, I, I wish I had the time to go through them, and I won't go through all of them, but I want you to hear that's what we're up against, these spiritual forces that have come forth at a time when God's telling his people, rebuild, renew, 
restored, get fortified, get built up. Because we're building the strong, we're, we're pulling down the strongholds. But it's right there at home. Thank you, Lord. Come on, right now in this moment, just tell the Lord, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I want to lead you in prayer in the rebuilding of each one of these gates. The sheep gate just simply represents this was the place where they would bring in the lambs and the to be sacrificed in the temple. So the sheep gate is to is the understanding that Jesus is the savior of our families. Not the government, not the president. Not our governor. Even with the fight over the budget, that's not the savior of our family. It's Jesus. So come on, join in with me. Lord, Lord, we rebuild the sheep gate. The understanding that you are our savior. The lamb sacrificed for us. Think about your own family, even extended family. Lord, just pray. Lord, help us, Lord God, to rebuild the sheep gate of my household. In fact, call out your family name if you want to on both sides of the family. Yes, Lord God, rebuild the sheep gate in our family. Yes, Lord God. The fish gate was the gate where they brought the fishermen. They would bring in the catch of fish. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you the fishers of men. And so this means accepting the reality that the top priority of every believer is to be a fisher of men. God, make me soul winners. Make us soul winners. God, let souls be one in our family. We rebuild the fish gate, God, that salvation would come to our household. Yes, Lord, this would be the priority of our lives. The next gate they had to build was the old gate. This symbolized returning to the old ways of God, to the timeless word and wisdom of God. We live in a country where they always look for something new and bigger and better and faster. But, Lord, we return to the old timeless wisdom of God. Your way never goes out of style. <laughs> Your word never goes out of style. Your wisdom never goes out of style. Yes, Lord God. So, Lord, just pray that, Lord, Lord, we rebuild the old gate in our household. The next one is the valley gate. The valley gate symbolizes the sorrows and trials that we go through. But the word of the Lord says that even though we're hard-pressed, hearing the word, even though we're hard-pressed, we're on every side, we're not crushed. We can be perplexed, but not in despair. We can be persecuted, but not forsaken. We can be struck down, but not destroyed. So, Lord God, rebuild the valley gate so that our families can no longer just fall apart when hard times come, that we will be strengthened, God. Let our family be strengthened through the hard times. The next one is the refuse gate. <laughs> yeah, it speaks for itself. It's called the dung gate. Lord, get out all of the waste and all of the filth out of our family, God. Yes, Lord God, we yield to you. We will have no confidence in the flesh. Yes. We will have no confidence in our own flesh. Yes, Lord God. So, Lord God, we rebuild the dung gate, the refuse gate, so that all of the filthiness would be out of our household. Yes, Lord God, in Jesus' name, all the family secrets, all that deep hidden stuff, we don't want any part of it. Thank you, Lord God. Yes, Lord God. The fountain gate uh, speaks of when Jesus said that uh, streams of living water would flow out of us, the ones who believe in him. Yes, Lord God. So this is talking about being filled with the spirit of God. Lord, let our family be filled with your spirit. Let the fountain gate of almighty God, let the spirit of God flow in our household, Lord. 
Let the spirit of God flow. The water gate was the next one. That just simply symbolized the word of God. Lord, you said that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Lord, let our family, oh God, live according to your word. Let the water gate be established so that Samballot and Tobiah and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites cannot overthrow our family. Let your word be established. The next one was the horse gate, which was uh, the horses were always used in, in warfare. Horses symbolize warfare. So, Lord, we stand on your word, God. Yes, Lord God, concerning the war, we Put on the breastplate of righteousness. See, we already know about it. We shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We take and put on the shield. We take up the shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. Lord, we put on the helmet of salvation. We pick up the sword of the spirit. Lord, we understand that we are in war. Yes, Lord God. The next one is the east gate. And that's just simply the gate that faced the east where the sun would rise every day. It was the reminder every day. And reminder every day that we have hope. We have hope. We can put our expectation in God. Lord, there's a spirit of suicide that's released all over this nation. Some of us in our families, there's a suicide spirit. God, let the East Gate be established. Let hope come to our household to destroy that spirit of hopelessness. That would cause our teenagers, our young people to think suicide is the only way. God, let the East Gate be established in our family. Thank you, Lord God. And the last one is the inspection gate. And inspection just simply means it was the appointed place. The Bible says appointed unto man once to die. And after that is the judgment. And so establishing the inspection gate means establishing the reality that we will all stand before God. So, Lord God, let the inspection gate be established in our household that everybody would live knowing that we got to an answer to you. So that the ones who live with as if though they don't have to answer to anybody <laughs> and they don't care about the consequences of their decisions. Bring this reality, Lord, to my family that we will all have to stand before you. Let the inspection gate be established in Jesus name. We pray. Amen and amen. Come on, bless the Lord today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.